welcome back to another episode of Your Dose, the podcast where we speak to individuals with lived mental health experiences to help people feel less alone and more connected. In this episode, we speak with food psychologist Jordana. From childhood obesity to disordered eating and substance abuse, Jordana opens up about her experiences, emphasizing the connection between childhood trauma and obesity. We delve into a range of topics from the fuckboy syndrome, a dysregulated nervous system, also the mind-body connection. Learn practical techniques from mental well-being to diaphragmatic breathing to semantic movements. We explore the impact of hormonal imbalance on disordered eating, discussing the premenstrual cycle and also even delve into the potential benefits of psychedelic therapy for personal transformation. It was an absolute pleasure to have Jordana on the podcast and sharing her experience and also her knowledge on food psychology and eating behaviors. Thank you so much for listening. If you are here today, um, if it's before Christmas or um, it's almost Christmas, or even after Christmas, I hope you have or had a lovely festive period. Thank you so much for all the support in 2023. I'm so excited to continue to grow my podcast and community and bring even more exciting guests and topics to the Your Dose podcast in 2024. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Your Dose podcast. Today we are speaking with Jordana. Hello, Jordana. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thank you so much for being here. Where are you based in the world? I'm in Toronto, which is a, I'm actually just outside of Toronto, which is a city in Canada. And where are you? I'm in Australia. <laughs> which is interesting I dreamed of saying that for the past five years so um yeah it's very it's I mean it's 10 a.m here what time is it for you it's six so it's like in the evening which is quite nice actually because I was really worried a lot of my guests are American or Canadian and I was really worried that it wouldn't work coming here to have guests with the time difference the difficulty is UK and yeah. um, UK and like Europe but but yeah America and Canada seem to work quite well because it's like your end of the day or like my morning so amazing yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm very glad it, we could make it work um, and you're also host of a podcast yourself I am it is the I was just we just rebranded it sorry I was gonna say the old name but um, it's the mindful method podcast okay it used to be called head to heel so if you see that anywhere we're just going through a little bit of a shift but all the content is the same it's um it's my baby I love it it's a really I love podcasting it's a good outlet and when did you start the head to heel uh well not head to heel anymore but originally when did you start this it was in 2020 and it was honestly when Instagram still had I don't know if you remember but it was like Instagram um, videos or there was like it, reels didn't exist and it was this video kind of concept, but you could only do a certain amount of minutes. Yeah. And just the way that I function, I think that podcasting is a really good place to get big ideas out and to really kind of like 
go through larger concepts. And so I wanted a platform for that. And I just started doing it. I loved it. Oh, amazing. And how many episodes have you got now? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I think we're getting close to 100. Um, Yeah. God. (laughs) And have you like, what's the coolest thing that you've ever done as part of your podcast journey so far? Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, I have been interviewed on a podcast in uh, the States where they flew me out to Arizona. And that was a really cool experience because I stayed in this beautiful resort and it was just very um, luxurious. And as far as people on my podcast, uh, I don't know. I don't know that I've had, I've interviewed, well, she's one of my friends, so it doesn't seem big, but she is kind of an icon in Canada where uh, her name's Gloria. She's a relationship coach and she's got quite a big following and she's, she's got a really big podcast herself. So that was a a pretty big moment for the mindful method. Wow. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit more about your (laughs) podcast journey. I don't even know what I'm doing in life in general. Um, but yeah, that's amazing. And I will also leave a link as well in here. If anybody wants to go, go and have a look at your podcast and have a listen. Perfect. But, um, so I think what the the best question that I would like to ask you before we go into, I can see lots of certificates behind you. If anyone's watching this on video, (laughs) um, academic (laughs) background. And I know from, from when you reached out, you're doing some really cool things, but what I would like to talk about is Jordana and what has your like journey been so far from a mental health perspective? Yeah. And honestly, like all of this behind me, all the like academia and whatever is truly a reflection of my story. Like none of this would have ever happened if I didn't struggle so much that I just knew that if I didn't find answers that I, I, I would die. Like I, I really just didn't feel like there was another alternative. And so, I mean, I'll start right from the beginning, I guess, because that's where it always starts. But my story starts when I was really young. This was a long time ago. I, um, I'm in my 30s now. So this was when obesity rates were really quite low. I was, I was a childhood. I was um, a child of obesity, and I was the only really? obese kid in class. Yeah. And Do you remember how much you weighed at the time? Oh God! Like I mean, when you're a child, it's like what you weigh a hundred pounds, and you're like, and but it, it's still. If you look at photos of me too, looking back, you know, I I looked like a bigger kid, but I didn't look like some of the obesity cases that we have now. So just keep in mind, this is a long time ago, and obesity yeah. rates were so low. Everybody was quite um, fit and healthy, especially as children. And so I was the only obese kid in class. And of course I was like bullied and made fun of um, a lot because of this, because I was so different. And when I was eight years old, I was playing tag and I had a crush on this boy. And I remember I caught him and in front of the whole school, he was like, fatty caught me. And I was just mortified. And, you know, at this point, I'm already eight. I had been through the rigmarole with people like bullying. I knew I looked different. I cried myself to sleep every night. I just literally prayed to God that he would change me. Um, And I just didn't understand why I was that way, why I had to be different. It felt like a curse. And so in that moment when he just embarrassed me in front of everybody, I vowed, I was like, I'm going to go on a diet. And I didn't really know what that meant because I was eight. 
but I did know that the more that I ate, the more I would gain weight. And so I just stopped eating. And so my mom would pack me lunches and I would just throw them out. And I did lose quite a bit of weight and I received a lot of reinforcement from the people around me. So everybody around me was like, oh my gosh, she looks so beautiful. All of a sudden I had all these friends. The yeah. cutest boy in school started talking to me. Even my parents were like, oh, we can see your beautiful face. And it just taught me at a young age that being thin meant I was lovable and being overweight meant I wasn't. And this spiraled into decades of what I can only describe as like decades of disordered eating and then eventually substance abuse because using substances not only to keep my weight down, but as an escape from just like so much inner pain of being the person that I was and never really learning to like myself. And so I was 21 years old. I was a raging alcoholic with a cocaine addiction. I was kicked really? out of university. Yeah. Wow. I was going to ask you what yeah. substances you use. Interesting because I've never really spoke to anyone on my podcast that's had or spoke openly about substance abuse so much like yeah. in terms of cocaine um, yeah. and like obviously like 21 so young I mean sorry just to butt in but like how did you afford that at, at 21 years old it's oh. expensive oh my gosh it's what I'm about to say is gonna be mortifying but I'm just I'm, I'm an open book yeah. so I'm just gonna put all on the table but so my drug use really started when I was in high school and I, it started with weed of course. And then it moved into things like MDMA. So I would take like two pills of MDMA before I would even go to class. And then we would skip really? the whole day. Yeah. We would oh skip the gosh. whole day and just do acid. And, oh. um, yeah. And so when that got less fun and I went to university by some grace of God, I got into university. I've always been an intelligent person. So I would just like, just scrape by, but I got into university in Montreal. Montreal is a big party city in Canada. So cocaine was very uh, fluid there and it was very accessible. And I also was in a relationship with somebody who was using as well. So it started with kind of like, oh, this is a party thing to now I have a bone sticking out of, of my nose. And because I've been using so much and I, I literally can't function unless I'm on an upper or a downer. Yeah. And so how I afforded it was my poor parents sent me off to school to go to school and gave me money for an education. And I didn't pay rent. I didn't go to school. I didn't, I just like spent all of my money that my parents had saved up for my whole life on drugs. And it's like so hard for me to talk about that and admit that now, because I feel so, so badly. There's so much guilt and shame around it. But I think if you're listening to this and you've ever struggled with an addiction, that this is what people are, what you're willing to do when you're stuck in these cycles, right? It's like, you'll do anything for the substance. Yeah. And, and did your parents recognize that you were doing this or because you were away at university, were, were they kind of oblivious to it all? Yeah, I was away and they're significantly older than I am. So my sisters could technically be my mom. So they are a little bit in their own world, but my dad was also going through a health crisis at the time he had cancer. And so a lot of the attention was more towards that. And so I kind of, I think also too, in a way to rebel and not know how to deal with what was going on in my family was resorting to drugs. To drugs. Yeah. And so you yeah. were also taking drugs and not eating. Yeah. The beautiful thing about doing cocaine is you are not hungry at all and you lose weight like crazy. And so even when I wanted to stop, like I would talk about going to outpatient programs and whatever, especially because I was concerned about my nose more than anything. But, um, 
I was terrified that if I stopped using, I would gain weight because when I would stop for longer periods, my appetite would come back in such a ravenous way. And that was what I noticed even growing up before cocaine became an issue. I would go on these like binge and purge tendencies. It was like, um, or binge and restrict. So I would restrict and I wouldn't eat anything. And then I would only be able to maintain that for so long. And then when I would start eating, it would be like compulsive eating. Yeah. Yeah. So were you, the people that you were hanging around with at university and taking drugs, they were also taking drugs and yes. behaving in this way. So yeah. they didn't, they weren't able to say, Jordana, like you're looking really unwell, you're taking a lot of drugs. Or was there someone in your life who did say that? I def, I have close friends that were not involved in any of like the party scene or anything like that at home. And they were always concerned about me, but the people that I associated with at that time in my life were doing this exact same thing. So when I was 21 and I, they kicked me out of school, I had nowhere else to go. I had to come back home. And I actually, at that point got pregnant and that baby saved my life because I could no longer use any of these substances. But the one thing that came back was the compulsive eating. And that was the substance that I could use. Wow. And so, yeah. So through the nine months of my pregnancy, I'm like eating in a very addictive way. It's not hung eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full. It's far beyond that. It's, it's uncontrollable. It's this, this compulsion. And I became very concerned about it. And I gained a lot of weight in that pregnancy. And so when my son was nine months old, I, I had my son, it was a great birth. And when he was nine months old, I was like, I have to get down to the bottom of this. Like, this is, this is a really big problem. So at that point, I went back to school to become a nutritionist. And I was like, I'm going to solve all my problems. I'm going to learn about nutrition. And I did. Like, I became a nutritionist. I graduated as valedictorian first class honors. I loved everything I learned. I learned how to, you know, reverse chronic disorders. I understand diabetes, thyroid issues, all of those things. I knew what was healthy and what wasn't healthy. And right out of school, I was hired to work with a medical doctor. So him and I built this like huge obesity practice. And in the obesity practice, we wrote a book on reversing obesity together. But I saw the same type of person, like every single person who walked in, nobody wakes up and they're like, I want to be obese. It's not a choice. I'm really glad that you've said that, actually. And I'd, I'd really like to get your opinion on that a little bit more and why you think that, because it's so interesting that when somebody's anorexic or um, that, you know, or bulimic, whatever it is, and, and looks thin, people feel sorry for them. And they're like, oh, you know, they've got an eating disorder. But obviously not everybody feels sorry for people with eating disorders. I know that there's obviously the people who think that they choose to do that. Yeah. Um, but when, whenever somebody's obese, people just look at them and think, oh God, they're fat. Why can't they stop eating? Yeah. And I always see it. That's to me an eating disorder. I like yeah. that. They have a, a disordered eating around food and they eat too much. So is that what you mean when you're saying that, that you kept seeing people coming in and, and having this issue with, with obesity and yeah. Can you like go into that a little bit more? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, you know, how I said, you know, I'm going to become a nutritionist and I'm going to solve all of my problems. Well, it actually, becoming a nutritionist almost made things so much worse 
because I found myself back in the same cycle where I would restrict compulsively because I knew so much. It was orthorexia. I knew so much about what was healthy and what wasn't. I was terrified of eating anything with sugar or carbohydrates, anything like that. But you can only maintain that for so long until I would smell a cookie and then it would just be like blackout eating. And so when I'm working in this clinic and I'm seeing these, these people who are, you know, 200, 300, 400 pounds almost, like nobody wakes up and chooses that. Just like I didn't wake up and choose to be obese as a child. Like it's just not a choice. And and if it yeah. were, like people would choose against that. And even further, if we really want to get into the nitty gritty of this, and this yeah. is like where actually my passion really is, is, you know, okay, so the dieting industry has a 98% fail rate. Like the solution that we have to this major problem, obesity is a an epidemic. More than 40% of Americans are clinically obese. That is half the population, clinically obese, right? So, and the dieting industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. So if meal plans worked, if diets worked, obesity rates wouldn't continue to rise. Like that's just like point blank. So I'm working in this clinic. I'm handing out meal plan after meal plan after meal plan. Nobody's getting any better because most people know an apple is healthier than a chocolate bar, but they choose the chocolate bar anyways. So that's no longer a problem of like not knowing what to do. This is a mental health disorder, right? Yeah. And what is it that you think that stops people from making the right choices when it comes to food? Woo, great question. (laughs) How much time do you have? Uh, So this is a very complex issue. Like the nervous system in itself is extremely complex. And before I answer that question, I will say that when I was working in the clinic and just seeing my own patterns, I realized that being a nutritionist wasn't enough. So I went back to school to pursue master's and PhD in behavioral psychology. And that's, that's where all, all of my understanding of the nervous system and mental health came from. And I'll talk about my own story and I'll tell, I'll tell you what I see in my practice. But at the end of the day, when we know what's right, or we know we have a goal, okay? The goal is I want to be rich. I want to be thin. I want to be healthy. I want to fall in love. But we keep behaving in ways that are inconsistent with that goal. We press the snooze button. We keep overeating. We don't go on the dating app, whatever it is, right? Yeah. This is not an issue of us not wanting it. Like the desire is there. So why is the behavior contradicting the goal? And that's when we start to understand what self-sabotage really is. And self-sabotage is a very interesting mechanism where when we have a goal and we behave in a way that's inconsistent, we're, we're sabotaging our success. Well, why does this happen? Right. And this is where all of my research is in and, and we can address this for many ways, but I'll talk about like the subconscious and conscious mind, um, briefly. So we have two parts of the brain, right? We have the conscious mind that makes us human. And like 2% of our day is lived in this conscious mind. This is where your goals and your dreams are. Are. This is like where Emily likes the color blue. Emily likes to play soccer. Emily mm-hmm. wants to fall in love. Like this is Emily wants to be healthy. 98% of our behavior or habits, everything is in this subconscious part of the brain. And mm-hmm. so you can say all you want. I want to be thin. I want to be rich. I want to be whatever. But if your body's on a completely different program, you're never going to meet that goal. And how that gets dysregulated truly is from early childhood in um, research we call this ela or early life adversity but it's it's trauma right so for me when i was really little i learned like i wasn't lovable 
And so I desperately did whatever I could to try and be lovable. But if the belief, the identity is I'm not lovable, I'm going to continue to behave in ways that are consistent with the identity of I'm not lovable. Like your brain's not going to make you a liar, right? And so if you believe weight loss is hard, if you believe you're a piece of shit, if you believe you're a failure, you're going to keep behaving in ways that are consistent with that. That's one component. Yeah. And that's really interesting. Is And is there any other specific childhood trauma that you found is, um, it repeats with people who are obese? Yeah, there are many. Unfortunately, uh, sexual assault is a huge one. Really? And there, there's many reasons why the body would want to, because if you think about fat and adipose tissue, it is a protective layer on the body, right? So whether we want it there or not, if the body's manifesting an actual barrier, like a protective layer, um, a lot of that comes from feeling violated, like being violated at one point in your life. And so a lot of my clients have dealt with um, sexual assault encounters. Uh, We talk about the core wounds a lot. So, you know, my trauma was a child calling me fat Whereas I, I work with people who have, have very, very big, severe traumas, but it doesn't really matter what the trauma is. What matters is how that child internalizes it, right? So the core wounds are, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, and I'm not enough. And if mm. anyone in your life taught you one of those things, so for example, my father is an immigrant, he's Middle Eastern, and he's very high expectations for me. And so I would come home with 98%. He'd be like, where's the other 2%? Like, it's just like, overachieving tendencies. So he taught me not enoughness. And if I believe that I'm not enough, then everything that I do, I'm still going to feel like it's not enough. Like there's never going to be enough money. There's never going to be enough love. There's never going to be enough food. I'm going to continue to chase that not enough feeling because that's my programming. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like you just spoke to me. (laughs) Uh, I'm still trying to unravel that I'm not good enough thing, but it's, um, yeah, it's hard to get rid of it. Even like through like years of therapy, it's something that I've, I personally struggle with that feeling of not being good enough. And it's interesting because you mentioned the uh, being called fat at school. And I, I spoke about this recently on my Instagram, but I'm really small. So I've always been different. Like it's, and it's, it's always the topic of conversation when someone first meets me, oh my gosh, you're so small. And like, I, there was lots of trauma when I was younger, but I, um, I, I ended up getting an eating disorder and it was almost like a catalyst from trying to go and get, um, steroids to grow. And they told me that my bones were pretty much fused. So it was like the one thing I could control at that moment was my food because I can't control how tall I am. Mm. Um, and that's then like, it, there's a lot of reasons why I don't think I'm good enough, but I think um, that that one that those comments over time that were made that are still made about me uh, definitely lay into this whole I'm not good enough and um, I'll, you know I, I I like I'm different and it's it's difficult to because I I'm not I've never dealt with the like the obesity side mine's always been to limit what I eat I mean I'm I'm fine now um Mm -hmm. but in the past it was always like how can I restrict myself as much as possible and like almost punish myself for like Mm. the way that I am um Mm. but everything that you said was really interesting and and I'm intrigued how you deal with that from a 
obesity perspective, like how do you initiate change with these people? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a process, but I just want to speak to one of the things that you said because you were talking about how, okay, so, and really it doesn't matter if you categorize as like anorexia or bulimia or overeating. Um, The wound that you have, the not enoughness, what you really learned is that like something about you is not right. Like there's something wrong, right? And Mm -hmm. You said it perfectly. Like if we look at the history of eating disorders, like being able to control what you're eating is like if we, if we, other things feel like it's out of control, the one thing we can control is our food. But but it actually goes a, a step beyond that because our relationship to food is our relationship to life. Like food is our life-giving substance. And so if we learn really early on in life that we have to earn or deserve or whatever to live, like that we don't deserve to be here or, or unless we fit into what everybody else looks like, it's not safe for us. And this is actually very primitive. Like if we look back and we follow um, different tribes, right? In in if When somebody didn't fit in with the tribe, their immune system would actually like – work against them to die because they wouldn't survive. We Mm. need to fit in. Like our, a sense of belonging is like a basic need for a human being. It's, it's more important than food, water, shelter, sex, et cetera. And so when we learn at a young age that like we don't belong or there's something wrong with us, we develop this really subconscious relationship with life. And we begin to feel like we have to earn living or punish ourselves in a certain way. Um, and so I just wanted to reflect that back to you that I see that frequently and, um, it's, it's pretty, (laughs) your brain did exactly what most brains would. (laughs) And so there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, but to answer your question on how I address this, well, I do have a very specific process that I, I, I work with clients and, um, you know, we, we don't really have to dive too much into that process, but it's, it's not as simple as like, oh, I'm a hypnotherapist. Right. So it's not as simple as well, we just do hypnotherapy to stop eating. Most people buy the hypnotherapy on my website and they're like, this is going to solve all my problems. And for a couple of months and for some people, it does work. It just depends on how deep your trauma is. But if you have these core wounds that I'm talking about, like we actually have to bring that stuff up to the surface. So we have to do a combination of like, therapeutic work where we're working on like the talk therapy, we're going through the inner child work, we're bringing this stuff up to the surface, then we need to reprogram the brain. Because people will do years and years and years of therapy. Half of my clients are therapists. And like, they're like, I don't know. And so yes, therapy is very important. It serves it serves a very important role in our lives. But but then what do we do with it? Like the brain doesn't change if we don't change the brain actively. So this is where we start to get into some of the reprogramming tools where, you know, hypnotherapy is one of them, subconscious reprogramming, RRT, like there's many different techniques that we can use. And then a really big component of my work is building a sense of community, because especially when it comes to um, overeating, it's a very shameful behavior. There's a lot of shame around it. And yeah. most people, it's very closeted. And so but these disorders like thrive on shame because the more you feel shameful about yourself, the more you engage in more shameful behavior. And so when we can build kind of a community and people can start to see themselves in other people, very similar to how we would deal with addiction and group therapy, it magic happens. Um, yeah. So like those are kind of the, the tidbits. It's, it's much more complex just from case to case, but, uh, Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. So in terms of the community aspect, how do you bring these people together? 
Yeah. So I I have a, like a group program. Um, so if you're listening and you're really struggling with this, like my, the mindful method is my program and it really is just the most effective way to deal with this. I worked one-on-one for years, but once I started getting people in groups, it just kind of changed everything. So, um, you know, we do two calls a week, one call a week. And, um, at the same time, you're going through the actual process, like my signature program, but being on these calls together, like literal, literal strangers are, you're talking about like very deep issues. It's an, it's so funny. Cause I just had a live event in Toronto and people who have never met each other are now like in their own group, taking each other out for dinner, going oh, to meet for coffee. And it's just like the most beautiful thing for that. me to see. Yeah. It's, it's really important. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I do it. And how long does it typically take someone from coming into their first ever session with you to being you know recovered and I and I say recovered yeah. because I think that um if we're looking at obesity as an as an eating disorder um I would say that an eating disorder recovery is a journey and this is my perspective and you might have your perspective on this but I think it's something that that I live don't I don't live with it and struggle with it but it definitely affects me um through different points in my life like there might be times where things come up and like I know how to control it now but it's definitely a journey I think you can recover but I don't know if an eating disorder is something that you can fully recover from like because it's because it's something that at the time it has so much control of your life like even to a point of I know the calories and everything and that's yeah. not that doesn't mean I, I I struggle with calories but I just know the calories of everything because I religiously learned the calories of so many different things when I was struggling with an eating disorder yeah. um, I mean what is your perspective on that as somebody yeah, who literally so does, does this <laughs> yeah I really believe in the brain being able to change like truly. And we can, I'll talk about eating as well, but I just want to make it very clear that like I was an addict and now I can drink on my birthday, on Christmas. We just went to Mexico at an all-inclusive resort. And when you come back, no part of me wants to engage in drinking. We actually went to Mexico at an all-inclusive resort with all these people that were drinking all day long. And I was like, oh God, like no part of me wants to I'll have a couple drinks with dinner. Right. So all of these disorders that we have, whether it's overconsumption of substances, overconsumption of food or underconsumption of food, all these self-sabotaging mechanisms that we have serve a purpose because mm-hmm. like they're related to the inner wound. When we heal the wound and we learn how to n- regulate the nervous system, they're not necessary. And so in no way, please understand disclaimer, am I saying if you're addicted to heroin, you can just start using heroin like moderately. Like there are some drugs that will hijack yeah. the nervous system so intensely that there's no there's no reason to go back to them, right? But when we talk about these, and food is a drug, it, it is designed most food like a drug, even more addictive than cocaine. So when we're using these substances that are that are moderate, that the brain can actually like regulate its way out of it, when we teach the nervous system how to regulate, the disorder goes away. Of course, I'm fucking human. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear, but <laughs> and and I'm a female living in the world that we live in. I'm I everyone feels self-conscious when they're in yeah. a new environment and we have to put a bathing suit on or whatever. Like it's not like all of these narratives that drove the eating disorder just go away completely forever. But like I said, when you learn how to regulate the nervous system and you learn how to like 
come back down to earth from them and not let them run the show, then it the disorder goes away. I be, It's fully recoverable in my experience. We, we have a 99% success rate. The people who wow. don't succeed, the people who don't show up. So like, as long as you show up and you do the work, like you will succeed. It's just, there's, there's not a question about it. So how long, going back to my original question, yeah. how long does it typically take, would you say, from, yeah, from first session to recovered? Yeah. Are you ready for this? So most people join my program because they want to, there's a weight loss component to it, of course. Right. And so I forgot to mention that also in this program, like I am working with the physiology of the body. I'm a nutrient functional nutritionist, right? So I'm using like, if you have parasites, we're getting rid of the parasites. If you have thyroid disorders, we're, we're healing that. So the weight loss takes longer to heal your relationship to food and to stop overconsumption. It shouldn't take longer than like four to six weeks. Like for most people, it's like a two to three week thing. Wow. It's that very incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's shocking. Like most people are just like, it just clicks one day and they're like, oh, I don't even do that, don't anymore. Like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a process. Like the, the universe is always going to bring up stuff for you to practice, you know, like these challenges and you have moments that are harder and, and moments that are easier, but it actually is a very, very simple process when you know how to do it right. So you mentioned that, that you've got to put in the work and I understand what you mean by that, but for the listeners, obviously you do the sessions, you do the hypnotherapy, you do the talking therapy in the session. What is yeah. the work that needs to be done outside the session? Because that's often the work that's actually more important. Yes. Such a good question. So we call this integration. I believe when we want something, especially because if we're at point A and we want to get to point B, whatever that point B is for you, like you can't get to point B with the template of point A. Like it's, you just can't, right? And the brain loves being stuck in the familiar. It loves it. Even if the familiar is unsafe or unsuccessful, the brain will view the familiar as being more safe than, than something that is healthier or whatever. Mm. Right. So when you're like, you show up, you're like, I want to heal my relationship to food. I want to stop overeating. The universe isn't just going to be like, here you go on a silver platter. It's there. Like you wake up one morning and it's all gone. The universe mm -hmm. has to send you experiences through adversity for you to practice and, and to challenge, right? So that you can actually summon the confidence to be the person that you want to be to up-level and experience the things you want to experience. And so outside of the actual program and whatever, what happens is universe throws shit at you. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, like you get triggered by a picture you see, yeah. you have to go to an all-inclusive resort and wear a bathing suit in front of people you don't know. Like there's like these little moments that, or even better, you overeat on something. Then what? Are you going to beat yourself up? Are you going to restrict the next day? Or are you going to think like somebody who's never had an issue with food and just be like, huh? Eh, and move on, right? Yeah. Do, do you know this really remind this really reminds me of my pattern of like dating in a way. <laughs> it's so related. Yeah, it's yeah. so similar. So like I continuously go back to the guys that hurt me. Yeah. But then I'm like, but then after I'm like, why did I do that? I want I want someone that loves me and cares about me. But then I still go to that that guy that hurt me because that's what I'm used to. Yeah. So, and the, and, and the universe does that on purpose, I think, because it's yeah. like, Emily, stop dating these idiots that hurt you. And when are you going to learn that 
the attractive guy that's that's like got all these followers on Instagram is probably going to break your heart. Like, but you keep going yeah. back because it's it's repeated behaviors and, and patterns, and it's like you almost become like this is getting really deep but it's like you almost become addicted to that pain like the pain of being hurt because it's what you know and I and 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 that's the same with food I guess like you get addicted to that feeling of oh like I'm I'm stamping piece of shit like oh just over it again like why have I done this is would you say that's that would make sense Okay. Like this is an entire, I've done like a whole thesis in my head about this. So I'm going to, I'm going to get into it. It's going to be a tangent, but we're going to get into it. Um, I'm going to just answer the food thing first and then we'll go into the dating. But of course, of course, because the issue here is like, the brain's not going to make you a liar. So if, even though you want to be better, and even though I know, you know, your worth, like I know you wake up every day and you're like, I am beautiful. I am better. I am worth it. I deserve this amazing man. You're yeah. programming, that's conscious mind, right? Subconscious is your programming. So if you learned, I'm not good enough, there's something wrong with me, whatever, you're going to keep manifesting those situations to validate the truth that your brain has about you. So you have to change that truth. And you can't yeah. do that through like talking to yourself in the mirror about it or like doing the talk therapy. That's brain reprogramming, right? Like that's what, and, and so that's one thing. But let's talk about fuckboy syndrome. So <laughs> I love this. This and is today, by the way. <laughs> Perfect. Line. The universe is providing. Um, okay. So in behavioral psychology, which is what my undergrad degree is, uh, behavioral psychology is the study of human behavior and why we do the things that we do. And in behavioral psychology, there is never, ever, ever a behavior that does not serve a function. So every single behavior that we do, whether it's putting on a seatbelt or biting our nails or having a conversation or throwing a tantrum, it all serves a function. So we need to understand what the function of that behavior is. And every behavior that is repeated is reinforced in some way or else we wouldn't repeat it, right? And so we talk, there's like different schedules of reinforcement. Something like doing cocaine or eating is immediate reinforcement. You do the drug, you get reinforced. You eat the cookie, you get reinforced. Yeah. There's something called variable reinforcement, which is very, very addictive because with variable variable reinforcement, we don't know when the reinforcement's going to come. This is gambling. This is why gambling is so addict- addictive because we'll put money on the table. Sometimes we get it. Sometimes we don't. People like wait, lose everything in gambling. They have nothing. They yeah. break up their family. They lose because they don't know when that reinforcement is going to come. But when it comes, it releases so much dopamine that it's, it feels like mm-hmm. they're on heaven on earth, right? And so this is what fuckboy syndrome is. Like fuckboys are so addictive because it's a variable schedule of reinforcement. Oh. We never know. We, sometimes we get it. Sometimes we don't. So when we get it, it is so all consuming. It's like intoxicating <laughs> that it's, we just keep going I back for more. That's the fuckboy syndrome. No, TM. that makes so much sense. It's like <laughs> the dips, there's the lows, but then it's the highs and it's those. Yes. And you're waiting constantly, like you said, it's really interesting for this like mediocre, mediocre. Oh, he's not, he doesn't really like me. He's not messaging me back. He messaged me. Oh my God, this feels yes. amazing. And then you're waiting yes. for that moment yeah. for him to message you again. I mean, this mm-hmm. is completely off topic of food now, but like <laughs> for anybody listening, do you... How do you become okay with the with just the mediocre? You know, like just just a guy who's just nice. He's like he's not a fuck boy. He always makes you feel like 
pretty level like and then you'll have some nice moments and like but the dopamine's like I imagine like baseline normal yeah um how do you become okay with that when you're so used to these in like insane spikes I guess it's like because I guess it can relate to dating in the same way it could relate to food yeah listen like food money love all root chakra it's all, it's all the same place. Like it all comes yeah. from, and all of the dysregulation and the disorder that can um, present itself or can express, it, it's all coming from the same place. So, and it's funny that you say that because I was queen of toxic relationships. Like, unless I actually was so addicted to men that wouldn't love me that I have dated multiple gay guys and like them come out after we've dated because I would just fall in love with these people and be like, why don't you love me? And they're like, they we don't even like girls. So, but like, and no one else would matter. So you're like, I, I, I used to be queen of this, but now I have no desire to gamble. Like I see the toxicity. I see the, to the fuck boys. And I'm just like, Oh, like uh, get me away from that at all costs. But that's because you have to regulate your nervous system. Like your nervous system is probably happier in a state of not happier, but feels more familiar for you to be in a state of yes. chaos than for to be in a state of peace. Yes. And so people that grew up in very chaotic environments, whether that was from your parents, or even if you created chaos inside your own head, constant worry, self-criticism, all of those things, when things feel calm, it fe you will literally manifest chaos because you, it feels more familiar than just to be in that calmness. And so the answer to that is you need to learn how to regulate, regulate your nervous system. system. And you need also big difference between self-esteem and self-worth, right? Self-esteem is like, what do I think about my appearance, my job, my friends, um, how other people perceive me. Self-worth is if all of that is gone, am I still worthy despite everything? Where's my worth? And that's where your relationship to life comes in. Am I worthy of living if I do nothing all day? Or am I only worthy when I'm performing? Is my worth tied to my work? You know? That's really interesting. And I feel like I need to have a, a therapy session after that. <laughs> Somebody's told me that I have a, I've already been told I have a very dysregulated nervous system. Um, so yeah, I mean, that definitely makes sense because like you were mentioning, you know, it's, it's a, the perfectionist mindset, I think definitely yeah. falls into that because yeah. yeah, it's like, I, I must do this. I must constantly be achieving and doing things because that makes me feel good. And if I'm not doing that, um, then I'm a failure and what's the point? Yeah. And, um, I mean, what, how, how do you how can you regulate the nervous system is there anything that you can do outside of paid therapy that yeah. can help of course um and before i say that i just want to like put all my cards on the table if i were to zoom out this screen you would see multiple certifications and degrees for as far as the eye can see and so now that I'm finishing a program, I'm about to start another one. And my husband is actually going to file for a divorce. So there, there is no, <laughs> no part of me that has fully. Is. Sorry. He, is he actually filing for a divorce? No, no, because oh, no. I just well, laughed. I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, no, he, then you're like, whoa, this got really dark. Um, no, uh, no, but he's threatened to multiple times because I haven't, and I'm a work in progress too. So I'm not coming, I'm not talking in authority. I'm just going to tell you like I, with food, like I've, that, I've nailed that one. Right. But when it comes yeah. to um, needing 
to achieve. Yeah, yeah. To achieve in order to feel valuable. Like that is something I'm still working on. That's very father wound stuff. So lots of things that we can do to regulate our nervous system on a daily basis. And like, you're going to hate this, but all of the most effective ones are free and they're all the ones that no one wants to do. <laughs> so it's like, I tell my clients, okay, um, three very big, deep breaths in the morning. And like, I've had people give me that and I never do it. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, but, but it is really like when we are diaphragmatic breathing. I'm not talking about <laughs> breath work, like where we're hallucinating all that stuff, though that can be effective. Um, big diaphragmatic breathing is going to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and just like turn that fight or flight right off, right? Like that's one of them. Somatic movement, like somatic therapy is, you can even look up on YouTube, like somatic therapy for um, releasing emotions. A lot of our emotions are stored in our body, but mostly in our hips for women. And so when we have tight hips, especially if we've had like C-sections, whatever, pelvic pain, um, if we have lower belly fat, like this all stored energy, right? And so doing things like the somatic movement is also helpful. Walking in the sun for more than five minutes. Like, and these are very, very, very simple things that actually just completely turn the fight or flight right off. And so when I, in the past, when I was healing my relationship to food and I would get cravings because cravings are not commands, right? But if we reinforce the craving, if we hear the dysregulation and like we go for the food immediately, then we just teach the brain that you'll have food at any, any sign of dysregulation. So I used to practice like hearing dysregulation and going for a five minute walk. Like I would just turn on a song and go for a walk and I would come back a completely different person. Like a walk has pr can pretty much solve 99% of problems. And so it's really simple things like that, that like nobody wants to do. And so you mentioned, and I think um, somebody who was on here previously mentioned the, the hips and she was like saying, you should just go in, in your kitchen in the morning, put on some like Shakira or like your favorite dance song and just dance. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, on, when I'm on a night out and I've had a few drinks, I love to dance. And like, it, it does, it makes you feel amazing. It's like, not only is it liberating as a, like, as a woman to be able to dance like that, not like, you know, not, not, not too much, but like, it makes me feel really good. So it's interesting that, um, that you mentioned that. And I guess, yeah, advice for anyone that's listening, just, I need to do this more for sure, yeah. clearly, uh, stick on some yeah. music in the kitchen and just dance and yeah. release the, the energy. I'm, I, um, so in terms of the mind and body connection, I am like, I, I, I don't know if you've heard of EFT. Yeah, of course. Emotional freedom tapping. technique. Yeah. Tapping. Yeah. yeah. And I had really severe health anxiety, like two years ago now, to the point that I couldn't leave the house. Like it completely took over my entire life. And it's something I've dealt with, like dealt with, sorry, for quite a long time. Um, mm. And I, I feel like nothing worked, but the tap in, like it was crazy. And when, when you explain it to people in the same way that you're explaining, just, just dance, I think until you've actually like done that and experienced that feeling of like energy leaving your body like i'm actually gonna get home tonight and, and have a dance properly and see how it feels or like do one of these somatic things um maybe the universe has brought us together for this moment for me to actually engage in this because i remember being in an eft session once and um like tapping it was probably like my fourth session and i think 
before this, I'd always been um, quite had quite a negative mindset towards EFT and my, my therapist was like, Emily, you just need to lean into it. Like you need to just relax and let your body like take control mm. almost. And for some reason I just went into this session and, and I was just able to relax and I felt energy leaving my body. Like, mm. like you could see, like it was weird. And I know even saying you might understand, but I know even yeah. saying this right now, the listeners must be like, what are you talking about? But do you have it with your clients, patients, where they have this like aha moment? Yeah. And and, and when might that be, if that question makes sense? Because like that was my aha moment when I was like doing this EFT, like tapping and I finished this session and I was like, wait this this is actually something like and my therapist has been explaining to me for a long time that I've got this trapped energy and we do all this work around where are you feeling the energy right now and like we need to release it from like your stomach because that's where you feel anxious and like this mm-hmm. I mean obviously you're nodding because this is this is like literally your bread and butter I imagine mm-hmm. um but have you had any experience of that with a patient who's come in and been like really negative or you know and and, and not maybe like a few sessions in not really uh trying to make that change and having this negative mindset and and has there been a you know this liberating moment for them it's yeah whenever a client meets me with resistance with something that i'm asking them to do it's usually the thing that they need to do the most And I'm cool to hang out and wait until they've exhausted all other options. Like, I'm like, listen, like I got all day, you're paying me. Like we can do this in 12 weeks. We can do it in six years. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, but in, and I have, I'm thinking of one client in particular who, um, was very resistant. So another really good way that's free to release energy is, um, through like, uh, raging, right? So you would just put on like a a song, a three to five minute song and just fucking lose your shit at your pillow. Like, just like beat the pillow. And, and, and it's so cathartic. Like the first time I did it by the end of the song, I've never felt more in my body ever in my life. Like wow. it was that, that brain body connection that you're talking about. I feel like more, more often than not, and actually like if we had time, I'd go through the science of this, but we live like up here, like the brain could be here. The brain's almost never in the present. It's always thinking about the future or the past, or it's thinking about itself. And it's never really actually just in this moment, but the body can only be in one place. And so what we start to see is the separation of the body and the mind. And if you don't believe me, close your eyes, put a two minute timer on and see how long, how many seconds it takes for you to start thinking about something in the future, in the past, or like self-conscious about yourself. It's crazy. It's like three seconds and you'll immediately go there. So when I did this like raging, I actually, for the first time got in the body and I had a moment with one of my clients where I kept like, she's very angry. She had a lot of inner anger, a lot of liver issues too. So the liver is like the organ that stores anger. So whenever I see like liver gallbladder stuff, I'm like, we got to get some of that rage out. So I'm like, do the exercise, do the exercise. She's like, I did it. I'm like, I don't think you did though. <laughs> like, um, anyways, I made her do it with me on the screen and I like, she muted herself. So I didn't hear anything. And afterwards, like she opened up the thing. She was bawling her eyes out. Like, and like just hysterically crying for like yeah. 15 to 20 minutes. And it was just that release. Like it was happy tears, but it Honestly, was that, though, that, isn't that it? 
yeah, yeah that's, that's so interesting yeah I have a question around yeah. when you say I felt like for the first time I actually felt in my body yeah what like what does that actually feel like if you can if you can even explain it uh, go and rage and see I don't even know like it just okay I'm gonna do this connected. tonight and then connected like grounded almost exactly because it would be oh, sorry cut that out everyone. um we have everything that we need inside of us to heal like there we can get a facilitator we can pay money for therapists and I'm suggesting you all do that like we, we don't need to be a one-woman show but at the end of the day, your mind and your body have everything that you need to heal. No one can heal you, right? So when you're talking about that like aha moment where you have like the stored energy and then you finally felt the release, this is this was your brain and your body reconnecting. And there's actually a lot of research on this. Um, John Kabat-Zinn, he's from, oh, Massachusetts. He's a um, physician there. He has done a lot of research on this type of mind-body connection. And it, like he even says, because he's in the medical field and the medical field is very corrupt in this perspective, um, that he had to, he couldn't even call it meditation because it was too woo woo. He had to call it like stress reduction therapy. But what he was noticing is that when people were doing this, like mind body connection, getting in the present moment, connecting the mind in the body, in this moment, even just for a few minutes a day, like cancer was regressing people like yeah, autoimmune disorders. Yeah, like it's it's crazy. Yeah, my um my uncle went to the Joe Dispenza, you know, uh these yeah, like huge on meditation yeah. and she and yeah. they went my uncle and auntie went to one of his like four day med meditation things in mm -hmm. um in New York. And you I mean, maybe the, the listeners and I'm sure you know about this, but like for any listeners that are unsure about meditation and how powerful it actually is yeah. they were in this big session in this room and there was like like thousands of people meditating at the same time and there was a guy who was like uh he he had like he was terminal cancer and he was cured from his cancer and people are like yeah. this they don't believe and you hear about people who are um blind and then can see again like from meditate how do you explain like how can you possibly explain that like it's there is yeah. something so powerful about it and I, it annoys me because um being completely transparent and you know I am human which is something that you mentioned so early on in this podcast and some and something that I really want to um repeat is that I, I you know I know what that meditation is good for me I know it makes me feel good yeah I know when I start my day with meditation I, I have a great day and I'm productive and I feel the best but I still don't do it and I guess yeah. that all then comes back to this self-sabotaging behavior that you've mentioned so much throughout this, because I know yeah. it's good for me, yeah. but because it feels calm and I feel like this has been a therapy session, by the way, <laughs> because it feels exactly how it should be <laughs> and good and peaceful. And my life is used to chaos and I'm used to creating chaos. Why would I do that? Yeah. Um, but this is also because you are, and sorry, I don't want to like just therapize <laughs> okay. you right now, but <laughs> you are searching for your validation outside of you. And you even said that with like your achievement and then the boys that you're dating, when mm -hmm. we 
do something like meditation, it really is the recognition that everything that we need is right here. But mm -hmm. humans get very caught up in this like very tangible outside world, looking for the next thing, for the next fix, for the next boy did it, for the next whatever. And it's all outside of us, right? When and so when you actually this the self sabotage and stuff, we can get rid of that. Just do like a little bit of hypnosis or subconscious reprogramming. You're tapping around it, whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, and when you show up for yourself for that five, 10 minutes a day, you're saying I am worthy and nothing else matters but what mm -hmm. I have here. And when you do that is when you're going to stop seeking out fuckboys because you're raising yes. your worth. And so it's like you actually have everything that you need to have everything that you want. It's And it, it's, it's not just as simple as a choice. It's not it's the apple and the chocolate bar, right? You have to really believe that you're worth that and, and yeah. believe that you have the power. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I'm going to go away after this <laughs> and really consider doing some more work on myself, to be honest. Maybe I'm going to sign up for your program. Yes. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Um, oh, well, it's, uh, I'm, I'm being honest. I'm sure there's lots of people listening to this who, who are exactly the same, but <laughs> Um, a quick question around, so yeah. is it just women that you work with? Yeah. And okay. So is there anything that's gender specific and that you have to work with when it comes to women? Yeah. So one of the reasons why I work with women and this is biological women, um, is specifically because of the hormones that I'm comfortable with. Um, and so I know we get into kind of like a muddy area when we start talking about like um, gender roles and, and, and transgender and all that. And this is not to be ignorant of any of that, of course, uh, but this is because my expertise specifically is in women's hormones. And so if I'm going to be balancing like biologically female hormones with female parts, then I need to like stay in my zone of genius. And, um, and I have no idea how to do that with when we get into like trans and whatever. So um, I work specifically with women. And if there isn't a desire of, um, if there aren't like pre-existing mental health conditions or a desire to pre-existing mental health conditions in the sense where I'm going to have to balance neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, all those things. Um, and it really is just recovery from food. Then if you're an identifying woman, of course you're more than welcome. Uh, but my goal here is to really create a, a, a space where people are going to feel very safe and where um, there's going to be, people are going to be able to see themselves and others and not feel like they need to put a wall up. And I feel even just from my perspective, when we get into mixed gender things, it, it's, it's difficult for me to be fully myself when there's a male in the room. Right. And so I do work with women and gender specifically from a hormone perspective, women are very, very, very complex. We are not just on a 24 hour hormonal cycle. Like most men, we are on a 24 hour cycle and a 28 to 30 day cycle. And so a lot of the time, like, especially when it comes to regulating hormones, which is so hormones rule the world. Like it's so imperative to balance them if you want sustainable long-term weight loss or just leanness. Like it's not about even losing weight, it's about releasing what you don't need so you can be in your, your healthiest self. And there's so much misinformation that we have. Like so many women are doing these really long fasts in the beginning of the day yeah. and their weight is super stubborn and that's because cortisol is really high. And so I, I have to be able to balance and navigate all of that. 
Yeah. And, and I know that we're like, you know, we're coming to the end of the podcast, so don't feel like you have to answer this no, no. Uh, like in like too much depth, but you mention hormone, like imbalance, I'm guessing is what you're talking about. I mean, yeah. at a really basic level, how can hormonal imbalance contribute to disordered eating? Oh my gosh. Hormones are everything. Like, yeah. Hormones and neurotransmitters, which are like serotonin, dopamine, um, oxytocin, GABA, endorphins, those are the hormones of the nervous system. And anything that requires motivation to engage in behavior is related to neurotransmitters. So anything that is going to affect the hormones of the body is going to affect the neurotransmitters of the nervous system. And, but then of course we look at things like, you know, menstrual cycles and how most people right before their period have really high cravings. And, and it's, it's not just the hormones there. It's how the hormones are affecting the microbiome, which are interacting with the nervous system. Like it's very, very, very complex. Um, and when things are very balanced, it's not that we're just never going to have cravings. Like there's flexibility and fluidity, but if we have really strong PMS like symptoms, so cravings or PMSA or PMSD, which is like P- anxiety before you get your period. Yeah. Some people, I have clients where they like are very suicidal before they get yeah, their no, period. No, I, I genuinely, yeah. the week before my period, yeah. um, I wonder whether it's, you know, there's listeners, a lot of my listeners are female who uh, also struggle with this, but like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll have this week where my world is like falling apart like everything's like everything's terrible I hate my job what am I doing with my life and then come on period and I'm like and so many of my friends have spoke about that we have this joke like oh you know I didn't hate my life I was just coming on my period but it's like it's crazy how do you um what is the advice that you would give for somebody including myself (laughs) therapy session uh who is listening to this um how we can help to balance our hormones so this doesn't happen every single month. Yeah. So first thing I want to reflect back is to validate that it's super, super, super common and also not normal. Like that should not be happening. That sounds like PMDD, which is not not diagnosing, but um, PMDD is is very, very severe depressive-like symptoms before you get your period. You, you can experience things from suicidal to wanting to break up with your boyfriend, wanting to quit your job, not knowing where you exist in life. And yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty problematic, not just for your own mental health, but because remember that all those signs are just like signals from the body, like something's not right, right? Like it's like, when we get these symptoms, it's the body like trying to be like, Hey, something's not right. Like it's, it's, it's feedback yeah, from the body. Yeah, it's, just yeah. trying to, it's, it's trying to communicate with you. So, um, balancing that is not a simple, like just get some sun. Um, I have a whole like hormonal protocol. I take my clients through when they experience something like that, but it really has, we have to get to the root of it. Like hormonal imbalance is never a root cause it's not just, oh, I have a hormonal imbalance. Let's balance the hormones. That's why the fuck are the hormones imbalanced? And that's when we start to look into deeper things like, are there pathogens? Are there toxicities? Was there a big trauma? And so we we need to work with all of the things at once. It's not like, would you seed cycling and call it a day? Like, no, it's not going to help. However, there are free lifestyle things that everyone can do. Um, One thing I will say, because it's super safe and it's it's not free, but it is um, something that I feel comfortable recommending to a large group of people um, is something like tart cherry juice. Like 
um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a juice. It's tart cherry juice. Yeah. It tastes delicious. And it really is so effective at helping your body regulate, um, hormones throughout your period. And it's also very inflammatory. It helps to produce melatonin. So food-based things I'm, I can comfortably recommend, but when it comes to like getting down to the root cause, like you need to work with a practitioner you need to figure it out. Thank you. That was, that was very helpful. I think, um, basically the, the answer to all of this is to regulate your nervous system and go to therapy and it's, and it's, and it, but it's good. And it's good to be honest because you'll see things online and like people listen and think, oh, you know, I've bought these tablets that balance my hormones. You know, there's so many that I've like literally thought, oh my, you know, I'll buy those. And Mm -hmm. then you're in a monthly subscription or like these, uh, there was a particular, I won't mention the name of it, but like a daily greens thing. And it was like, you know, and then, and then, but then it doesn't work. And you're like, Oh, but if I do it again for another month, it must work. And then, mm-hmm. and then they'll they'll trap you into like a subscription where you're like, oh, three months people are seeing differences. But what you're saying is that it's so much deeper. And I think this is this is for so many things in life that the answer isn't like that's a quick fix. Like that's mm-hmm. that's just taking something that for the short term might work, but it's not the answer because you can't keep taking that for the rest of your life well, I mean you can but it's going to get very expensive and it's and it's not really dealing with what's going on deep down and and it's interesting that you say it's trauma because people don't think that they just think oh my hormones I always oh my hormones are just like messed up but yeah my hormones are linked it's science and it's linked to actually my brain and my mind and, and that's affecting then my hormones um, oh my god! I guess people don't really realize. I feel like I've had a. <laughs> this is my aha moment. <laughs> well, it's like okay, literally, and this is like the thesis of my entire life. But if you walk on the street, you stub your toe, you do not feel that pain until the nervous system tells you to. Like the body manifests absolutely nothing without the brain. The body follows the mind, and so to. And this is where you know I was practicing as a nutritionist for so long, like half a decade, and like you know you're you're getting people like thirty percent better, like maybe fifty percent if you're lucky. But like there's this missing component where like whoa, we got to actually address the psychology here. We have to actually address why the body manifested this. Like what are the emotional things that this person went through that made the body susceptible to attract parasites or susceptible to have a cortisol issue? And and so that's where like some of the deeper work comes in. And so I'm the opposite of the magic pill approach. Like when people are like, I want to lose 20 pounds in 20 days, I'm like, see ya. Like no part of me wants any role in that. And I'll see you in a couple of years when we're right back at the same spot. Um, yeah. yeah, but you're, you're so right. Like it's, and working with a professional is of course important. However, it's also the understanding that like you actually have everything you need to heal. So like nobody's going to heal you. It's you have everything. You just want to find the person who can direct you in a way that you feel open and aligned with. Yeah. And so if there is anyone listening now, maybe me, <laughs> uh, who might want to um, be part of your course, is it just a, is there a website? I mean, I will leave the, all these links in the description. So a website that somebody can go to and then do they have a consultation first or do they literally just go on and like buy a package for X amount of time? How does it work? Yeah, it's, I have a, a few different programs. Um, so my main one, like the mindful method, which is really the like food psychology component, 
Um, that one is application based, um, not because we like want to turn people around, but because like there are specific people I just can't work with. And so we, I just want to make sure you're a good fit. Um, once you go through that and you are a good fit, you'll get an acceptance. If you want to have a call, like you can always prompt for that. Like, so, um, but it's not the first thing we go with or else I would have no time for my life. Um, and yeah. so, and most people like have already followed me listening to my podcast is the best thing you can do, um, to know if I'm the right fit for you. The detox program is my, um, when there's no emotional eating involved, uh, and you have hormonal imbalances or digestive issues or just like more physiological things. The detox program is very accessible. Like anyone can join it. Okay. Um, and it's at a lower cost for sure. And then the other thing that I'm doing that we didn't really talk about, and we'll probably open up a can of worms, but um, I do a lot of live events and a lot of my research, like my entire thesis is in psychedelic therapy and how that affects wow. the brain. And it's like, we could probably just like do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> uh, we just drop a bomb and leave. Wow. Um, so what in, yeah. in particular, obviously you did, you were taking acid as a drug um, recreationally, right? So, yeah. and, you know, being completely honest, um, yeah. as I always want to be on these, I, I've never tried acid. Um, it, the, the thought of it actually scares me a lot because I just feel like I overthink anyway and I would go into it with like, uh, with anxiety, which isn't the right way to go yeah. about it. Um, but something I'm really um, interested in trying is mushrooms. Yeah. So what in particular um, out of the psychedelic drugs do you think, I'm assuming you think they're very effective in, in the healing process. So which one yeah. in particular? Well, um, my research was done on a variety of them. So my research was done on like pretty much anything that would um, create like a level mind. of yeah, um, alter the mind for sure. And my research was done in the efficacy of um, psychedelic therapy for eating psychopathology in the form of overconsumption. So it's like in plain English, Jordana um, is for overeating disorders where a lot of psychedelics have been researched for years and years and years on their efficacy for helping addiction, which is where it all started for psychedelics. Like, because addiction is, and this is the fuck boy syndrome too. It's like, you feel so trapped in these cycles that even though you know, it's bad for you fucking keep going back anyways. Like, how do you help yeah. that person? Well, like you can do years and years of therapy and years and years and years of, um, of, uh, psychopharmacies that don't work. Um, that have very little eff efficacy, or we can have this massive one-time experience that changes your brain and changes your life forever. And so it's like doing one dose of acid or one do high dose of um, mushrooms can force the brain to create these new neuronal networks that we just can't do when we're stuck in the cycle of life. Like no matter how much we want to go outside of it, the brain is a big muscle and it's all just programs and we've programmed in these very specific cycles. It doesn't want to veer out. So anyways, I use this research to be, I'm actually one of the only people who's really studied it in food overconsumption, which is um, where a lot of my like uh, success has been, I guess. And I host psychedelic retreats. So I'm hosting a psychedelic retreat in California. Um, oh my God, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the other kind of component of my business. And, um, we do those like once a year, the next one's in May. I think I have like four spots available. If you're listening, you're interested. Wow. I mean, um, can I get a flight yeah. from Australia? Yeah. California? How, um, yeah. how does the retreat work just really briefly? Like what's the mm -hmm. process? 
Yeah. So it's a five day experience. And um, I'm very like, I actually have a shaman who's going to be there as well uh, to help mm. facilitate. So, and she's very special. She is my mentor. Um, she's a lot more gifted than I am, we'll say. Um, and she's very intuitive. And so that will be a whole experience in itself. But the process that we go through in like the five days, it's an all-inclusive thing. So you just need to get yourself there, like the food, everything. We have a private chef. It's, it's incredible. But um, the whole experience is gearing you up towards having the transformational experience that you need to have. So everybody's coming there for different reasons. And one of the reasons why we use psychedelics is because it allows us to tap into different parts of our mind that we can't access on a conscious level. Um, it also helps people who've had very severe traumas to um, heal those traumas in a way that doesn't feel triggering or doesn't like create more issues. It's like we can access trauma and heal it in a very profound way. Um, but if you even look at like how acid was first found, by the way, I'm not using acid on the retreat because I can't. So I will be using yeah. mushrooms and different oh, I, I, things. I think someone's waiting to come in here. So we might have to to wrap up actually. But keep I'm gonna go really quickly. Um yeah, so we are will it's a whole experience. So there's like an integration process, there's like an intake session, everybody has one-on-one -on -one sessions. Um, but we're really cultivating the energy so that people can have the experience that they want to experience, so they can come out the other side having changed their nervous system. Amazing. Well, um, Here's me booking a flight to California to go and do this. Um, I'm, I'm really, I've, I'm in a podcast room and there's somebody waiting to come in. So we have to wrap up, which is such a shame because I've loved speaking to you. But really, really quickly, if there's one piece of advice that you could give to someone who is listening and um, in particular looking to initiate change in their life in some way, what is the one piece of advice that you would give them? Oh, I would say, and I've said this already, but truly like you have everything in you. And the reason why you haven't changed yet is because everything, all the adversity you're experiencing is designed to teach you how to get there. It's like your pain, your trauma is your superhero story. So optimize it and figure out how to get on the other side. And like, you'll be unstoppable. Amazing. Well, Jordana, I've loved speaking to you. As I've mentioned, it's been a therapy session for me. I can't wait for this to go live. Um, enjoy the rest of your evening. And um, don't be surprised if I end up purchasing one of your programs. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see you, Emily. And it's been an honor. Thanks so much for sharing your platform. Thank you so much. See you later. Bye. Bye